0: Take your Bible now, let's find the uh, book of uh, Acts. Has anybody heard of the book of Acts before? Raise your hand if you have. If you haven't, you need to do a review (laughs) sometime today. Because we've been in it a while, and uh, we're going to be in it a while yet. But we're in chapter 6 today. You say, wait a minute, preacher. You preach from chapter 6 and 7 on Wednesday night. I heard that message or I was here and I heard you. You're right. Now, if you didn't hear the message, you need to go back and watch it on the Facebook. Uh, We talked about Stephen, the man who was crowned twice, and he was crowned twice. And you'll find out why when you listen to that message from last Wednesday night. But I told you Wednesday that we were going to come back to chapter 6 and we were going to look at verses 1 through 7 which are very uh, great verses that uh, the church needs to study and to learn. So we're in Acts chapter 6, so we're going to read verses 1 down to verse number 7. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve, that's the twelve apostles. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's where we were Wednesday night, talking about Stephen. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, who was a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now before we study this passage, I want us to take a few moments of quiet prayer and pray specifically for our folks who are in Ukraine, and especially for those who are our brethren in Ukraine who know the Lord Jesus Praying for peace, praying for an end to that war, praying somehow uh, folks will be rescued and be safe. Those that are already grieving will be comforted and helped. Let's pray for God to step in somehow, some way, and bring an end to that bloodshed. Would you join me for a few moments of quiet prayer? And now, Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And while we know that there will never be full, lasting peace until you come again, we do pray for peace in the country of Ukraine, between this nation and this aggressor nation, the Russians. We pray somehow you would step in in your own way and will to stop this aggression, to cause this war to cease. Lord, that there would be no more bloodshed, no more loss of life, no more hurt or pain. And as we said, Lord, for those that are hurting and grieving and worried and troubled, we ask that you would comfort them today. Be with our brethren there who are meeting in worship, houses of worship, homes of worship, quiet places of worship. Lord, they are troubled we pray for your Holy Spirit to comfort them. And now, Lord, help us that we would continue in prayer. And if we are able to help in other ways, that we would do that and be faithful. We lift this situation to you. And we know, Lord, that you will work your will through it all. And we pray that through it all, you will be glorified. And it's in your precious name that we thank you and we pray. Amen. Well, when you come into the church, I'm talking about the body of Christ through salvation. Sometimes you think of it like a buffet line. Now you know, leave it to the preacher. He's going to bring a food illustration into this. But you go into a cafeteria where there's a buffet line and you've just gotten saved, so to speak. And you say, well... I think I'll take a little bit of that uh, worship over there, I like worship, put some of that on my plate. I believe I'll take a little bit of fellowship, oh I really like fellowship, give me two servings of fellowship. And then you go on down prayer, oh yes, put some prayer on there, in fact add a little extra because I want to share it with my family. And you go through the buffet line and you're thinking about this food that you're getting, and you're, waiting, you're ready to go sit down and enjoy it. And that's what we're doing right now. We've had a serving of music. We've had a serving of prayer. and Serving of Bible study in Sunday school. And a serving of fellowship. And uh, now you're going to get a, a flank steak. Pray that it'll be a ribeye, but it might be flank steak. So just hold on, okay? But you go to your table and, and you enjoy the meal. But then you're looking around and you see the manager of the restaurant and he says come up here and you go walking up there and he says now when you finish your meal I've got something just as good as what you've just had and you're going to like it you say okay you go back you finish up that meal you wipe your mouth you go back to the manager and he's holding an apron and some gloves and he says now I want you serving in the serving line well listen, that's how it is when you come to know the Lord. Oh, it's sweet, it tastes good, it's wonderful. And then the Lord says, but you're saved to serve. So we're gonna to talk today about getting in the serving line. Okay, let's get in the serving line. Now I want you to look at the early church, first church here, first century Jerusalem. And uh, they, are, they are having, first of all, some growing pains. Growing pains. I mean, this church is growing. Their numbers are growing. You remember the number? Well, Jesus called 12, and by the time you get to the upper room in Acts chapter 1, there are 120 of them. Pretty good growth, isn't it? And then you go to Pentecost, chapter 2, 3,000 get saved and are added to the church. So you got 3,120. And then the last verse of chapter 2 says, And the Lord kept adding daily those that were getting saved. And then you go over to chapter 4 and 5, and you read where 5,000 got saved. And that could have been just the men, because it said 5,000 men it could not, maybe it didn't include the women and children. So you got at least 5,000 more. And the Lord keeps adding. And the Bible says in verse number 1, the number of the disciples was multiplying. They, they're first adding, and now they're multiplying. You're talking about church growth now, this is church growth. But you see, whenever there's growth, there are always challenges. And, you know, a lot of people run up against a challenge and they say, Oh, I wish our church hadn't gotten as big as it is. I've heard people say that before. Our church has just gotten too big. Shame on you for saying that. Because, you see, we're either going to evangelize or we're going to fossilize. Those are the only options. We can look all around the landscape and see these... Churches that like it the way it is, the size it is, our little club, our little country club. And all they're doing is saying, we're just a dinosaur waiting to fossilize. That's all they're doing. And they're slowly dying. Well, they had a growth problem. A growth problem power that was going on but there is a glaring neglect that's going on here something's happening in the body that needs to be addressed and somebody comes to the apostles and said listen i've heard some complaining there it is verse number one that the hellenists are not getting served and the hebrews are now let me explain what the hellenists and the hebrews are this church is predominantly a jewish congregation a hebrew congregation The Hebrews here are the Hebrew widows. They've been here all their life. They've been in Jerusalem all their life. They got saved, and now they're just Jewish Christians. But they're home folk. They grew up there. The Hellenists are the folks from out of town. The Hellenists are the people who've lived in other parts of the Roman Empire. They are Jewish, but they've lived in other parts of the Roman Empire, and they talk the Greek language instead of the Hebrew language. They may dress something like the Greeks. They have customs like the Greeks, and they've moved in. Now, maybe they came at Pentecost, got saved, decided to stay. Maybe they just are moving into Jerusalem. It's a big city, like a lot of big cities are growing. Maybe they're just moving in. But they've gotten united with this church, and word is out that the home folk are getting served, the widows, but the out-of-towners are not getting served. And the Bible says... And they complained. Now, if you're reading from the King James, the King James says they murmured. I really like that word better because it sounds like what the word means. You know what the word means literally? They grumbled in a low tone. You know, they're not taking care of taking care of them. They're not taking care. of Look at that. They're not. They're grumbling in a low tone. Now. Let me give you some thoughts about grumbling and about murmuring. The Bible says in in the scripture, the Bible tells us Philippians 2.14 that Christians are not to grumble and complain. It just says don't do it. And if you go read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 7 through 10, you find out that God associates murmurers, complainers with idolaters and sexually immoral people. That's who he lumps them in with. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that God destroyed a whole group of them one time as they were going through the wilderness. Read about that in the Old Testament. Because they grumbled and complained all the time to Moses and Aaron. God dealt with them. And you know God will deal with them today. We wish they he'd do it a little quicker sometimes, but he'll, he'll deal with them today. Now you say, wait a minute preacher, I've got a legitimate complaint. That's, that's different. A legitimate complaint says here's a problem now let's try to fix it and i want to be a part of the fix that's a legitimate complaint a grumbler a murmurer, is just somebody just has a reason to complain or think they do and they just enjoy doing it they want to cause friction so this was what was happening here in the church by the way anything that moves forward has friction your car that got you to church this morning had friction going on in the engine, even as it was moving forward. If there's no friction, watch out. That's a sign that the thing's not moving. It's not working. It's something's not happening. So they have to address this problem. But I want to remind you this morning that problems very often have within them possibilities, and they often have within them opportunities that we've never thought of. I mean, just just think about that. Now, sometimes when a problem comes up, we want to sweep it under the rug or we want to just pretend it's not there. We want to say, oh, I wish they wouldn't bother me with that. But look and say, God, what is the possibility here for me? There are always possibilities. I heard about a man who was walking down the road and he had a pig under one arm. And he had a basket under the other arm with a chicken in it. And he saw this young lady out working in her flower bed, so he stopped and he said, Ma'am, I need to ask some help. How do I get to the county fair? And she said, Well, you go on down this road like you're going about a half a mile. You turn to the left, and about another half a mile down there is the county fair. She said, In fact, if you were to draw a straight line from behind my house across those woods there, as the bird flies, that's where the county fair is. He said so it's on the other side of the woods she said yes he said would you show me how to get through the woods she said i'm not gonna walk through those woods with you you might try to kiss me he said ma'am he said i've got a pig under one arm and a basket with a chicken under the other arm how could i kiss you she said well you could put the chicken on the ground and put the basket over it and i'll hold the pig (laughs) now listen there are possibilities possibilities in every problem if you're open to them i had a i had a preacher friend in anderson who used to say i don't have any problems all i have is possibilities and he said to me one day and today i've got a lot of possibilities going on sometimes it's like that in the church but listen we need to step back and say now what would god have us to do and that's what these apostles did they have growing pains but now they're making plans. Now look at the plans once again when they brought this to the apostles. They said in verse number 2 that the apostles called the disciples, in other words called the church together, and said it's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business and we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the Word. Now... The apostles realized uh, two things that we need to realize today. That the church is first an organism, and then it's an organization. And it takes both to go forward. Now, some churches are all organism. That means they're alive. An organism is something that's alive. It's a living thing. And I've been in some churches that had a lot of organism going on. They, they, They just, a lot of life. And I like that. I like it when you amen. I like it when you raise your hands. I like it when somebody says praise the Lord. I mean, when somebody just sings with joy on their face and, you know, praising the Lord, I like that. Don't you like that? I've been in some churches that were all organization. And that's a good thing. But that's all they were. They were organized death is what they were. You see? But it takes both. Got to be alive we got to have some organization well the apostles knew the church was alive because it was growing and they said we got to get this thing organized but notice how they did it they did it by priorities the apostles said listen we need somebody to take care of these widows to serve these tables where the widows are being fed and the implication is they had left the preaching and teaching of the word of god to go and serve the tables and they said, listen, this is not what we're called to do. We're called to study, to pray, to preach, to prepare, to serve the Word of God. We need somebody who's going to take the tables and feed the widows. Now, the apostles weren't saying we're too good for that. i told you before, any, anybody who, who is uh, uh, too big for a little job is too little for a big job. The apostles weren't saying that they weren't willing to do some of that. What they were saying was there's a thing called Priorities priorities. Now I heard about this couple that was at the airport getting ready to go to Europe on an extended vacation. They were waiting to check their baggage in. And they're waiting there for their time and uh, the husband says to the wife, honey, I think we should have brought the piano. She said, the piano? I mean, look at this luggage. We've got everything we need. What do you mean the piano? He said, oh, we need the piano. She said, why do we need a piano? He said, because that's where I left the plane tickets this morning. <laughs> Listen, there are certain things that are priorities. And the apostles understood that the priority was to get the Word of God out. Out to the people and out to the community. And it wasn't going to happen unless those who were called to do it did it. I'm so thankful here at Howie Springs we have a church that values highly the Word of God the teaching of the Word of God. And by the way, I prayed for you Sunday school teachers this morning, and I do so often. God help them as they share the Word of God in their classrooms. But you value the Word of God, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, because we know that unless we're fed and we know that unless we get the Word of life out to a lost world, that God's mission is not going to go forward as it should. We value it, and I praise you for that and thank you for that. Jesus, when he was tempted, Matthew chapter 4 says, when the devil tempted him, he said, Jesus, turn those stones into bread and you'll have something to eat. And Jesus said, yet, let me tell you this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm glad we have a church that values that. So they make plans. They get things in order. They prioritize things. Yes, the widows must be taken care of. And by the way, all through the Bible, the Bible commands taking care of widows. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 14. Go read the prophets. They oftentimes would criticize leaders and criticize the people for neglecting the widows and over uh, abusing widows and abusing the helpless. Go read James chapter 1. Go read 1 Timothy chapter 5 where it talks about taking care of widows and those who are vulnerable and those who are least among us. But even as they did that, they said the word of God is first in our ministry. So they made plans. But they go from making plans to empowering people. I love this. They said to the congregation, now, here's the dilemma, here's the problem, here's the possibility. We want you to choose seven men. We're going to put them over this, and they will serve the widows. They were, they were empowering people. Now notice, they did choose seven, and they give their names. One of them is Stephen, and if you read the rest of the chapter, into chapter 7, you know that this man was a mighty man of God, and I'm sure the others were mighty in their faith. But notice the qualifications. Verse number 3, seven men of good reputation. We want guys we can count on, guys who are men of integrity and character. Number 2, full of the Holy Spirit. We want guys who know the Lord and walk with Him and have the Spirit of God filling and directing their lives. And we need men who have some wisdom. By the way, that word means not necessarily a Ph.D. What it means is they've got the ability to think through a situation and apply practically the answer to the problem. So these are qualifications. By the way, those are good qualifications for any church position, any position. Very good. So they choose the men, and then the church... Notice whom they, verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. The church, the apostles plant a seed, the church takes the action. The church picks the men, the church presents the men, the church prays over the men, and they lay hands on them and commission them and empower them to get the job done. Now, I want to show you something interesting. If you go back to the text in verse number 2, it says, we shall not leave the word of God and serve God. Tables. That word serve is an interesting word. It is the Greek word diakoneo. We get our word deacon from that, diakoneo, deacon. And some believe that this is the origin of the ministry of the deacon. It may be, it may not, but at least the word is used there, diakoneo. Now I've got a question for you. I want to wonder today how many deacons are here in church today raise your hand. Well, that's pretty good, but I'm a little bit disappointed. Because you see, before deacons were an office, it was a ministry. A ministry. You say wait a minute, what are you saying? Before the church ever said, we're going to elect deacons and make them a committee and let them do this or whatever they do, it was a a ministry. You see, you know how you read this in the Greek? The apostles said, we will not leave the word of God to deacon the tables, to serve the tables. And if I'm understanding this correctly, while they chose seven men, and if the word deacon means ministry before it means an office, That means that anybody can be a deacon if you're saved. That means you young people can be deacons. That means you women can be deacons. That means you older folks can be deacons. That means you new members, you say, wait a minute, I haven't been a member a year yet. We're not talking about the office. We're talking about the ministry. You can be a deacon right now. Now I want to ask you a question. How many deacons are here? All right, some of you are about to get it. I may try it one more time just to see, but but I think it's getting across. Before it was an office, it was a ministry, and even after it's an office, it's still a ministry. The deacons were commissioned to take care of the widows one-on-one. You and I, and I could show you many other verses where the same word is used, you and I are called to be ministers. To, to roll our sleeves up and to find our place. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that we've all been gifted with a gift to serve the Lord in ministry. Every single believer has a gift to serve the Lord in ministry. Amen. question is, are we doing it? But I, I want you to think about something with me this morning. I got to thinking this week about some of the ministries past and present in our church. This is just a sampling, just a few. Basketball ministry, men on mission, backpack, food pantry, good news club, shoe boxes, and I could give you many more. Shoe Christmas shoe boxes. I could give you many more. Do you know that every one of those ministries started because a layperson said, I see a need and I want to see if we can meet it? A layperson in this church. I still remember Ann Shell made an appointment with me 20-something years ago. She said, Pastor, I want to tell you something about the Good News Club. I'd never heard of it. She said, it's working here, it's working here, it's working here, it's working here. I believe we can do it at Holly Springs Motlow. And I said, Ann, if God's laid it on your heart, you go to it. Just go to it. We didn't call a meeting and have the church to vote on it and and all of this stuff, she, she just got it started. So she started going here and there and here and there. Would you help? Would you help? Would you help? And we just prayed her along as she went. And I could tell you, show you many more examples of that. Now, not every idea is right for, the, for a particular church. Not every idea is right for that moment in the life of the church. Brother Dave and I were talking about this message, and he told me about his mom, who's now with the Lord. But he said many years ago at his home church, his mom had the idea for starting a new ministry. She went to the leadership of the church. The leadership of the church said, no, we don't think so. So you know what she did? Now this takes gall. I wish I could come up with a better better word for it, but just good old gall. She said, well, I'm going to show them. But here's how she did it. I'm going to do it myself, and I'm going to show that it works. And later, guess what they did? They let her have the ministry in the church because it worked. You see, that's the best way to show it, show it anyway. Ann Shell came to me and had been working with children before. So I knew here's a lady that has demonstrated that it works. Now listen, not every church is for that moment, uh, ideas for the moment, not every uh, idea is for the church, but there are many that are. There are many that are. And if we could just say, God, show me where I can be a deacon. Show me where I can be a deacon. Oh, I think sometimes about the potential in this congregation, new ministries that can be started. Some ministries have a shelf life and it's time to put them back and put them away and start something new. And think about it. With this many people and add in our early service, think about the potential of impacting this community if all of us with our gift found our place and served. By the way, we've got several Bible studies that are going on in people's homes right now. I didn't know anything about until recently where folks are reaching co-workers and neighbors in their community. They didn't come to me and say, Pastor, uh, uh, you think I ought to start a Bible study? I really need the deacons to vote on this before I do it, or I need the church to No, they just did it. Now, if you get out on a wild horse somewhere and running crazy, we might have to rein you in. But listen, folks, there is potential in this room. But I tell you, sometimes we're like the Three Stooges. Anybody like to watch Three Stooges? Now, you young people go home and ask Daddy and Mama about Three Stooges or Grandpa about Three Stooges. I, I took my little grandson in my lap one day, and I said, I'm going to show you the Three Stooges. Boy, he cackled. I, he thought that was the best thing. I know there's violence. Don't talk to me about the violence. I don't want to hear about any of that stuff. I survived the Three Stooges, and your grandkids can too. <laughs> but Listen. I was watching the Three Stooges one time. They joined the Army, and they had their Army uniform on, had their guns standing at attention, and the captain came walking up, and they straightened up, and the captain said, I have an important and daring mission for one man who will volunteer. You, you remember that episode? No, Mo and, and uh, Larry step back and <laughs> leave Curly up there. That's how a lot of people in church handle ministry. They heard it, but they step back. They have got you back. They just got you way back, right? And a few step up. Friend, all of us ought to step up. All of us ought to step up. God, what would you have me to do? You say, well, how do I step up? How do I find my place of ministry? Well, let me give you some questions to ask yourself. What is your passion? What is your heart? What is it that you love to do? Don't just bring an idea that you've heard about, but something you're doing right now, something you feel right now, something you're practicing like Dave's mom did. Practicing. What is it your passion that you're doing? What do you enjoy doing? I mean, what brings you gratification? Some people just want to have, you know, have the praise of starting something. Listen, that's what you get when you get to heaven. What we need is folks right now that will step up and say, I'm going to show how this thing works. I'm going to do this thing. I was thinking about Andy West. I can brag on him now. He's not here. I, I can ask for forgiveness later. but I didn't say this in the early service. Andy was sitting here. But Andy never came to any of us as far as I know and said, you know, would you like for me to stand at the back door and hand out bulletins and candy? He just started doing it. Would that we had an Andy West at every door. Just doing that. Doing it. Because it's something you enjoy. Andy enjoys that. If you've seen that about Andy, I mean, you, you tie Andy up, put him in a corner, tell him he can't hand out bulletins. It's going to be like a bull in a china shop, right? He's coming out of that corner because he's passionate about it. He enjoys it. What do other people affirm in your life as far as ministry? When people see you doing something, and you don't do it to be seen, but they see you doing it, and they say, you know, you're really good at that. You really, I can tell God's using you at that. You know, when I first was saved, I, I thought I was going to be a singer, Brother Mike. I joined the choir. Now, they let me sing in the choir, but I never got asked to, to, to do a solo. Some people have solo voices, some don't. Obviously, I didn't. Because the guy that sat on this side and the guy that sat on that side never did say to me, you know, you're a really good singer. <laughs> never. Then I tried working with, with children and youth, even signed up for a three-month stint in a church as a, in a paid position. And I did th- 30 years work in three months. I'm going to tell you, I, did, I just didn't like that. And honestly, I didn't have many people coming up to me saying, you know, you're really good at it. But then one day, I told my pastor, I, I just think the Lord's called me to ministry. He threw me right in the pulpit. I told the crowd this morning, I don't like to preach, but I like to preach. I don't like to preach because I don't like to get up in front of people. If I'm in a crowd, unless I force myself, I'll be the guy that's over in the corner talking to one person. That's me. Every time I've taken a personality inventory test, I test introvert every time but when i get in the pulpit and the holy spirit comes upon me i feel that joy enjoyment i have people that tell me from time to time you know that helped me somebody in the early service said that sermon last week really helped me god just used that to affirm that calling you see so what are others saying here's a good question where's the need Where's a need? Find a need and meet it. And there are many needs. Here was a need. The widows needed to be fed. And these guys took it on and did it. Where's the need? What about this one? Where is God at work? You say, well, how do I know it's, it's the right thing to do? Well, if God's doing it, that's the right thing to do. Wouldn't you agree? If it's a God thing, it's the right thing to do. And there's always help needed. That leads me to the last thing, volunteer. Just try some things. Try some things and see what works and what doesn't work for you. But here's the thing. Take the initiative and get to work and show that it works, okay? And uh, if folks come alongside you, wonderful. If God lets you be a long ranger, praise the Lord, that'll work too. We've got some long rangers. I don't mean that they're Just out on a trail somewhere by themselves. They're they're doing a job that nobody knows about. And only God in heaven knows. But God in heaven's going to reward them for doing it. Now, so here they are. And they're commissioned. And they get to work. Now I want you to notice. I'm going to wrap up early today with verse 7. The progress that they saw. The word of God spread. That means the message went out. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Notice it starts out, they were multiplying. Now it says they multiplied greatly. The masses came in. And then a great many of the priests were obedient. That means the hardcore Jewish leadership are now getting saved. That means miracles came down. Okay? That's a God thing. Miracles. And then finally the mission went on. The message went out. The masses came in. The miracles came down and the mission went on. All because some people decided, hey, we're going to answer the call and we're going to be deacons. Now I want to ask you, how many deacons do we have here today? Getting close, getting close. <laughs> I have two more questions. Number one, are you saved? If you're saved, say, I am saved. Say it. Let's say it loud together. I I am saved. saved. Okay, if you're not saved, today's the day to get saved. We're going to sing our invitation. You can step down one of these aisles, put your hand in mine or Brother Dave and say, I want to get saved. But let's complete the sentence. Say it with me. I am saved. I am saved. Here's the second part, or the second sentence. I am saved to serve. I am saved to serve. How many of us are serving? How many? God wants both. God will bless both if you'll let Him. Father God, thank You for this study in Your Word. Thank You for what You've taught us this morning. I pray, Lord, not a single person will leave this auditorium without being saved. They'll give their heart to You and be born again this day. Father, I pray that every one of us who are saved would see that we have a place to serve. While we may not know what that place is now, we would get busy trying to find that place. Lord, plugging in to existing ministry, trying to start a new ministry by our example, or Lord, going outside the building to some other ministry that you have for us while we still worship here and minister out there among the masses. Help us to be serving people. And now, Lord, I pray for those who have other decisions, who need prayer, who have a burden on their heart, who need wisdom or guidance and need to come and kneel or pray with me or Dave. Lord, who feel led to join this church, to make their profession of faith and get baptized, to move their letter from another church to this one. Help them today as we sing in your precious name. Amen.